1: to the Orange is a New Black podcast. I am your host Ace Boogie. I'm flying solo today. My co-host Zim is going to be out so we are going to be talking about any and everything about Bengals topics especially after a huge day of Bengals news. Uh, Starting off with we're going to talk about Mike Daniels. We're going to talk about the Trey Wayne situation and we're also going to talk about Jonah Williams. So first let's talk about the Mike Daniels situation. Now, it's funny because me and Zim on our last podcast, I have to give Zim the credit. He talked about, you know, the possibility of going out and signing another defensive tackle, being that Ronell Wren wasn't there, Josh Tupo opted out. He pretty much pressed that there was a big urgency that in a big void that needed to be filled. That was rather important, right? And he was right. And one of the guys that we ironically talked about was Mike Daniels. We kind of talked that length about it. Uh, I at first didn't know if Mike Daniels would be interested, given the circumstances. But I said that you know there would be a chance that Mike Daniels could be the guy uh, to come over more so than I believe we were talking about at the time, Marcel Darius, right? Uh, so um, it looks like we were ahead of the curve, and it looks like now it is finally official that Mike Daniels is signing in Cincinnati. Uh, he's going to get a one-year, two-point-seven million deal, according to. Uh, Our good friend uh, on Twitter, it seems that Andre Perota says that it has to be an incentive-laden deal. So, it seems that there's going to be a bunch of benchmarks and stuff that he has to meet. And this is going to be a great deal. I mean, you talk about this three-headed monster that we're going to have now when you talk about Geno Atkins. You know, although Geno did not regain his Hall of Fame-worthy form last season, which, you know, it's it's obvious that that happened. But... You know, even Geno, not at his best, is still better than a lot of other people. But the thing that the Bengals have done and what Zach Taylor and his regime has tried to do ever since getting here day one has been to complement Geno with a better defensive tackle. Even last season, they were looking into possibly bringing along Gerald McCoy, even with Andrew Billings in the building. So it seems that this regime that's here now Uh, Never felt like they were really sold on the Andrew Billings thing. Now, that hurts because I was a huge Andrew Billings guy. You talk to anybody that knows me, if you follow me on Twitter at New Stripe City, I am a huge, huge Andrew Billings fan. But um, although he wasn't bad, he didn't really live up to being that force that DJ Reader can be and now Mike Daniels. And now you're talking about a three-headed monster where offenses and opposing offensive lines, they're not really getting a break because you're going to have Geno Atkins, you know, definitely on a pitch count, snap count to kind of preserve him and make sure he's not, you know, going to be playing for 800 snaps like he did last season. And um, this is going to be deadly. It's going to be a force to reckon with in that middle. You got DJ Reader who, you know, probably will primarily be playing nose tackle, but will also be spelling in uh, assisting with Gino and Mike Daniels. And you have to remember, Mike Daniels, although he was on the Lions last year, spent majority of his years with the Packers, those years with the Packers were great. He was phenomenal. He was a top 100 player. Uh, he had several PFF elite grades. So, This is a dynamic duo that at their height, if they're all clicking on all cylinders and they're helping each other, they can stay extremely fresh and really stop the run game, but also get after the passer. You know, this is a guy that can also get pressures and Mike Daniels. So it's honestly pretty scary that they're going to put all three of these defensive tackles together. So. From that standpoint, it will be exciting to watch because I know most of you, like me, have always hated to see that the Bengals struggle against the run. You know, it's, it's been a tradition. It seems like for a while, even when Mike Zimmer was here, you can point to that Chargers playoff game where we just let Danny Woodhead and, you know, Ronnie Brown... Those guys run wild on us. So from that standpoint, it's good to see that they're making this a priority. You know, we see differences in the regimes from Marvin Lewis transitioning into Zach Taylor. And this is yet another, another big free agency sign and another big name that the Bengals have landed. And, you know, I, I also do another podcast and another show where it's the AFC North Talk. And we essentially kind of talked about it. And, you know, a guy over there, my, my man Quincy. Uh, who represents the Browns, was upset because he felt like if anyone's going to sign Mike Daniels, it should have been the Browns. Well, the Bengals, even though uh, it wasn't a dire need, like it wasn't as bad as the Browns situation that they're going to in terms of their defensive interior, it was a move that we needed to make, and we were aggressive enough to hop on this guy and jump on it and get it done. Now, it took a while. It was actually reported, you know, essentially days ago that it was likely that he was going to sign. So there were a lot of weird things going on, you know, from what I have seen. I haven't researched this most Uh, for the most part, but from what I've seen, it seems that there were kind of restrictions on tryouts and stuff like that. Now the NFL just yesterday, uh, which would have been Tuesday, lifted that restriction. So it seems that that may have played a factor. And it also seemed that the Bengals had to actually create a roster space there uh, by cutting a defensive tackle that was one of those undrafted uh, free agents, so college free agents. So they did that, and now we have Mike Daniels. So you're looking at – essentially your three-headed monster that's going to be in the defensive tackle room. Uh, So what does that mean for the rest of the team? I think that it really puts, uh, you know, Luana Rumu in a good position in terms of his defense. He's able to get there and put his touches on this defense, which I'm in the minority. I'm a Lou Anarumu guy. I like some of the things that he did. Was he amazing? Was he Mike Zimmer? No, but I I did like some of the things that he did in terms of the 5-2 and, you know, focusing on certain players, moving on from certain players like Preston Brown and stuff like that, who's been cut. I don't know how many times uh, since then, but He isn't afraid to remodel this room in his vision. And now we have a stronger defensive line because you also have to account for DJ Reader, Andrew Billings, I mean, not Andrew Billings, Gino Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, and all of these guys feeding off of each other. This is going to be a deep, strong room. This is going to be a great room to see. And this is going to be obviously Gino's best. Uh, Supporting cast that he's been around when it comes to the interior. So I think that I'm really excited to see what will happen because everyone knows teams always double Geno. You know, he's always the focal point of the Bengals defense whenever opposing teams, even last year, right? Whenever opposing teams go against us and they turn on the film and those offenses are looking for those people that have to be targeted and accounted for, Uh, On the field, Geno Atkins is number one, and probably Carlos Dunlap is 1A. They're both right there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But Mike Daniels, welcome to the Bengals. So next, we're going to talk about the dreaded news that spread uh, yesterday morning, and that is about Trey Waynes. Now, Trey Waynes suffered a pec injury, we're assuming that it was maybe on Monday in practice, you know, there were some details given out by Zach Taylor, uh, but the first detail and the first thing that people have been talking about is the fact that uh, the severity of the the pectoral injury, and it was initially reported that he would be back within two months, and I'm not saying that that's not possible, uh, but I think that I kind of tread lightly when it comes to initial news for, uh, return timelines for injuries where they don't have all the information. Now he did get a first opinion. And the first opinion is that he could be back in two months, uh, but he is waiting it out to get a second opinion. And generally, I mean, I don't doubt these guys are blame them for going and getting second opinions, but generally like the consensus from what I've seen is usually when they get that second opinion, it usually confirms what the first opinion was. Now I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but you know, this is a injury that we have seen before. We saw it with William Jackson the Third, and in his rookie year, he injured his pec around August third of twenty sixteen, and ended up being shut down. So, like at first, Marvin Lewis said that he'd be back. You know, a month later, he's going on IR. Um, now, the the twist to that is that. He could have returned or, you know, they were, they claimed that he could have returned, but they decided to go with Cedric Pierman instead. Now, I think the basis behind that is they knew that William Jackson was a first-round corner. They had plenty of depth behind him. You know, with a pick, with a first-round pick, there's no reason to bring him back and risk further aggravation or injury. And one thing and one parallel that I think that this compares to, and I think that you have to think about that, side of it in this situation, is when Michael Jordan, I think he was, you know, a younger Michael Jordan, he was clearly the best player in the league, right? And he had an issue, I believe, I can't remember the exact injury, but I think it was like a lower leg injury or something like that. And he came back, right? And the Bulls at this point, uh, you know, Michael Jordan wanted to be a winner and stuff like that. He wanted to make the playoffs. Uh, The Bulls upper management felt like, number one, it was too much of a risk to play him uh, more. And it was too much of a risk to worry about him, you know, furthering the injury that he had already had. And I think if you have watched like the special and the documentary, they kind of showed both sides of the coin. And so they showed the owner and, you know, the owner, Michael Jordan was like, hey, there's only a 10% chance that I can, you know, re-injure myself. And the owner was like, Well, 10% is just too much for me, especially with how valuable you are as a player, you know, exposing you to that risk again to further an injury or make it worse. It's just not worth the benefit of it. And he had said, you know, if I gave you he said that he told Michael Jordan, if I gave you a capsule and nine, nine of the pills would cure you and one would kill you, would you still take the pills? And so. That's that's my thinking. You know, I don't have any concrete evidence or anything, but that's what my thinking is when it came to the Bengals decision. When it came to William Jackson, the third in 2016, what's the point of bringing a guy back and risking that injury uh, all the way in November? Now, you have to remember, he wouldn't have gotten activated until November. I think it was 23rd or something like that. It would have been around week 12. Right. So just think about that. He was hurt on August 3rd of 2016 they weren't even thinking about bringing him back until November. And and so, like, when I look at this situation, I always look at the worst-case situation whenever it's a pec injury. Uh, obviously, we've had players that had shoulder injuries, pec injuries. I mean, they're near the same area. I, I don't know, you know, the specifics in terms of the rehab between them, but this isn't the first time we've dealt with pec injuries. You know, Billy Price hurt his. And even though he was able to come back, he still stated – You know the next season that he wasn't 100% and he's finally getting to be 100% now. So it could be a nagging injury. It's also an injury, I think, that varies by position because I think where people are getting the whole two-month thing from, uh, whether it's from Trey Wayne's peoples or not, is I think that they're comparing it to J.J. Watt, who J.J. Watt last year during the season sustained a pec injury and was able to get back within two months. Now, I think uh, his situation, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm mistaken or not, I think he was injured in October and came back, uh, somewhere between December or something like that. So he was able to do it. Uh, but there are other situations when you look around the league, when you look at the William Jackson situation, there's also another guy, uh, for the 49ers, a, a cornerback recently that literally just had his, uh, peck torn, uh, a week before, Uh, what happened with Trey Waynes and so when you look at that guy and you look at the comments that uh, John Lynch has made about the injury itself you know it's totally different because this was a guy that they've already declared out for the season Uh, he like John Lynch essentially said that he can't see them holding a spot for you know an injury where a guy's going to be back in December and he said that he felt like it's a four to six month recovery injury now it all depends on the grade of the tear. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to put my Twitter doctor glasses on and stuff like that, but I always go with the worst-case scenario. So for me, when I'm looking at this Trey Wayne situation, I think that it's too early for them to say it's two months. And Zach Taylor kind of backed that up because uh, that same day that that report came out, he was interviewed, and he said that it's too early to tell. Like, we're not going to commit one way or another. We're not going to go out there and say that he is going to return and stuff like that because it's too early to know. You know, you don't know what the grade of the tear is. You don't know if it's, you know, super deep or if it he just nicked it or whatever you want to call it. It's too early to tell. And there's other variables at play as well because you also talk about there could be setbacks that happen during rehab and stuff like that. Like, everybody's case to me is different, so I always go into it thinking worst possible scenario. Worst possible scenario to me is that he's going to miss the season. So I'm already going into it expecting that. Uh, But you feel feel free to have your own opinion if you feel like he's going to be back within a couple of weeks. That's what it is. I just always look at these things with the worst-case scenario because if you would have went with that scenario – Uh, per se, of what they said with A.J. Green last year, then you would have had egg on your face because he didn't even end up playing the whole season. And it may be a situation where Trey Wayne's may be healthy, right? But if you already shelled out $15 million to him uh, for this year and you paid him $42 million over three years, I personally wouldn't, like, I could understand them not letting him play later and just redshirting this season and just, you know, seeing where things go next season with a fully 100% healthy Trey Waynes. But I also understand that some people feel like, hey, let's not waste $15 million. We paid $15 million for this year. You have to give us some kind of effort, some kind of games. You're not just going to sit back and collect the check. I see both sides of that. For me, being that this is a three-year deal, being that this was a tremendous investment, I'm thinking like the Chicago Bulls owner, what he told Michael Jordan, because just imagine now. I'm, I don't know if you can have a, you know, career threatening or life altering or skill altering um, issue that will happen from a pec injury, but you know, from that standpoint, you're, you're a cornerback. It could be somewhat different. You could be jamming these receivers at the line. You know, I used to play corner myself. Um, it's totally different than playing on the defensive line. So. I could see why an injury like that could be severe. I mean, you got to tackle guys. You got to do all of this. Like, that's a lot of wear and tear in that area uh, for me, per se. But I get both sides. And, and, you know, some people are going to say, does this mean that the Bengals shouldn't dip out in the free agency? Because you probably heard a lot of people saying, oh, this is Antonio Bryant all over again. This is not Antonio Bryant. And and here's why. The reason this is not Antonio Bryant is because, Antonio Bryant, the Bengals ended up signing him to a deal before doing a thorough check on his knee. Antonio Bryant was already injured when the Bengals signed him to that deal. This is not that case. Trey Williams was not injured. You know There was a a dispute in the offseason on uh, the contract being signed and the timing and stuff like that, and the Bengals weren't going to give him um, that contract and sign on the dotted line until they were able to get their doctor's hands on him and actually examine him because of situations like Antonio Bryant. So, uh, obviously, he was able to pass the physical uh, and get his deal signed. So, it seems from from my standpoint, I mean, I'm not a contract guy either. I'm not going to say that I know this. I'm, I'm not in the Bengals' financial wing. Uh, but it seems that from what I saw on track that that $15 million is guaranteed as soon as he's signed. So, I'm assuming that he's going to have that $15 million for this year. Now, some people are going to say, it's an Antonio Bryant situation. It's not. Um, hopefully, it's it's not something that keeps the Bengals from doing this next season because I think we've enjoyed it. And I think, you know, them signing Mike Daniels shows that, you know, this was just a freak thing. You know, injuries happen. Uh, and like I said, if he's back week six or after the bye, then I would love that. You know, but if not, then I'm not getting my hopes up for that. But I think the other thing and the other side of the coin of this is that, it now opens a door of evaluation for William Jackson III. It seems to me that William Jackson III, just from the outside looking in, from what I'm hearing, uh, it seems like he's in the doghouse. Whenever you hear Lou Anarumu or people talk about him, they talk about how much they need to see in terms of consistency and stuff like that from William Jackson III. And, I mean, rightfully so. He did not have the greatest season last year. He really had one of his worst seasons, uh, according to PFF. So. But I think that this opens the door for him. I mean, he's in a contract year. This is a guy who I think is better than Trey Waynes. I I don't care what the PFF numbers say. I think he's better than Trey Waynes, and I think that he is a guy that is going to have to step it up this season. And not only does it open the door for him, it also opens it up for Darius Phillips. You know, you you talk about PFF scores. He was amazing last year. Uh, Now, it wasn't limited time, but he had four interceptions. You know, he was great in coverage. He was a guy that a lot of people saw flash last season. And, you know, this presents an opportunity for him. And I think most people are comfortable with throwing Darius Phillips out there uh, because you look at that cornerback room, you talk about William Jackson, the third on one side, Darius Phillips on another, and then you have Mackenzie Alexander in the slot. That's more than formidable. That's more than enough to get by if they need to in a pinch. That's, a lot more solid than some other teams can say. Now, there is the case that, you know, we have not seen full Darius Phillips. And an example of that is I just talked about William Jackson. William Jackson the third looked amazing, you know, for two, two and a half seasons, and then he had the bad season last season. So there is a case that when he gets in there, and another case would be Drake Kirkpatrick, think about when he first came in with all those pick sixes, and then once he actually got starter snaps, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same. Uh, so I would proceed with caution with that, but I am looking forward to it. Like, just as a fan, I would I wanted to see Darius Phillips get his shot. So I, I'm more than comfortable with him being out there. And then you also talk about some of the other guys that they have brought in in that corner room. You talk about Winston Rose. You talk about LaShawn Sims. Now, I'm I'm wondering about LaShawn Sims because I have a, a buddy of mine that is in the front office for the Titans Uh, He's in a coaching kind of role um, slash front office. And he didn't have the best things to say about LaShawn Sims. But I've heard some people say that LaShawn Sims is pretty good. So I've I've seen things happen where he's played good. So I'm not going to say that I'm going to put a whole bunch of stock into him because when I reached out to my buddy and was like, hey, we just signed LaShawn Sims, he sent me back, LOL, good luck with that, bro. So I hope, obviously, I don't want anything bad. And I hope the best for LaShawn Sims, and I hope that he comes and he balls out. Like, I mean, of course I want that, uh, but I'm proceeding with caution. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about LaShawn Sims, uh, but hopefully he can come in too. And, you know, if you have those guys there, that is a solid making. And then you also talk about some of those other guys in the cornerback room. I mean, they spent a lot of money an investment in time and uh, making this up. Now, most people probably wondered, you know, um, where are they going to try to bring former guys back and stuff like that? Uh, from what I've heard, talking to my man Zim um, and him talking to some guys close to the team, it doesn't seem likely that um, a Dre Kirkpatrick return would happen. You know, uh, from what he's heard, it seems that money is probably a priority for that. The Bengals – uh, don't really have that much, and, you know, it would just be an awkward situation bringing Dre back into the locker room now. I personally at first thought it would be a no-brainer because you talk about him still living in Cincinnati, you know, them having a need potentially for somebody that's familiar with the system. That could potentially be a slam dunk, but from what we've heard, it doesn't seem like it, and it wouldn't make sense, right, because most people want to see Darius Phillips play and, you know, some of those younger guys play anyway why go back and pedal backwards and and stuff like that both sides have moved on it's been you know respectable and commendable so far no no need to throw any salt on the wounds or anything like that so um, that's probably likely not going to happen and then we also talk about uh darquez denard you know he already ended up signing so that's not a possibility so it'll be interesting to see if the Bengals go out there and, and get another corner to add to this room um but you know i could see them also rolling on like everything is okay if they think that trey waynes is going to be back within a couple months you know if they feel like they're deep enough there the only issue that they have to worry about during the season is injuries because when you talk about if william jackson the third goes down or or darius phillips goes down i mean are you throwing you know tory mctyre out there tony brown like yeah, it get, it gets pretty picky there. So, we've got to hope that they all hold on and we don't get into a situation like we did last year where guys like Greg Mabin um, are coming in <laughs> for those who follow me on uh, YouTube. So, if you're not following me on YouTube, please be sure to follow me at New Stripe City on YouTube and then also follow Zim on Instagram at Zim uh, underscore Hude. And then he's also on Twitter at Zim Hude. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at New Stripe City. Would love to hear you guys' feedback. I always like putting points and stuff out there. Um, and then I get people in the mentions, but it's all good. Like, I, I like that. I like that. So, um, make sure that you hit us up there. But the other thing that I want to talk about is Jonah Williams. Like, there's been a lot of people talking about Jonah Williams because, obviously, he was a first-round draft pick of last year. He's coming back this year. And, you know, he's got a big – he's got kind of big shoes to handle. Like, the Bengals' left tackle position has just – been an enigma these past like three to four years it just it just really hasn't been the same since Andrew Whitworth left and we haven't seen the consistency and stuff like that from the position since then and I'm not saying that Jonah Williams is going to be Andre or Andrew Whitworth but he just has to come in and embody and protect Joe Burrow and I think that he's going to do it it looks like he is in excellent shape he's you know massive and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how he can anchor that position. But I think that he's key to uh, the Bengals being successful in this season. You know, he's he's protecting the merchandise. You know, don't touch the merchandise, as the great Jay Gruden would say. And that's what it, what's going to happen when it comes to uh, Joe Burrow. You know, I did on my other podcast, the AFC North Talk, we talked about ranking the edge rushers in this division and the defensive tackles when you look around and you you take the the Bengals glasses off and you look around this division it is stacked with great defensive linemen i mean i hate pittsburgh just like you do but man that pittsburgh d-line is not playing it's not playing when you got tj watt bud dupree uh, you also talk about their interior guys you know they are, are stacked at that position. And so in order to keep those guys away from Joe Burrow, in order for us to have success in the division, you've got to be solid up front. You look at the Ravens. The Ravens, even though they don't have the edge rushers that really scare you, they probably had a lot, I think we all agree that they had the worst edge rushers in the division. But you also have to remember they also have Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolfe. I mean, you know, and... Matt Judon isn't a slouch. Like he's solid. He's solid. He had, you know, nine sacks last year. Um, so these are guys that you're gonna have to keep up off of them. And then you talk about Miles Garrett. You know, so Jonah Williams is coming into a division where there are some strong defensive lines around this division. You know, obviously we have a strong one ourselves with uh adding adding uh Mike Daniels to the mix, but you know, he's going to be challenged and challenged often. And that is where it starts for me on the offensive line. Like most people are going to say the center, which I agree with that. Center's the leader, has know where everybody's at and stuff like that. But you got to have that left tackle, you know, cemented there. So I'm looking forward to Jonah Williams coming back. And I think that he is essential. And he's an essential worker for the Bengals offensive line. He is essential. So I'm looking forward to him coming back every indication that I've seen has been good. You know, he worked out with Joe Staley. He's essentially transformed his body into more muscle and stuff like that. So, I'm excited to see what Jonah Williams is going to do because I think there was a uh, a documentary or something like that, a show with Belichick and Nick Saban. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Belichick asked Saban, you know, who's the most talented player that you had? And everybody knows that Alabama is a pro factory. And he said Jonah Williams. So. I'm ready to see what Jonah Williams can do. Um, he's going to be the foundation for this offensive line, getting back on the right track. And, you know, there may be some growing pains, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him suit up and play this season because it's almost like we're getting two number one draft picks back. And I know you guys are probably tired of that cliche because it always seems like all of our first-round picks get hurt their first year and then they come. So hopefully, knock on wood, it's not going to happen with Joe Burrow. Um, but... You know, I'm really looking forward to him playing, and I think that he's going to have a huge impact. I think he affects wins. I think he affects anything uh, because that left tackle position was horrible for us last year. There was no one there that could consistently man that spot, and we had all of the drama with Cordy Glenn and all of that. And Cordy Glenn, remember, he didn't get back until like week 12, so um, those are going to be areas that the Bengals have to improve on. In order to be successful, especially with a young Joe Burrow, we don't want him getting hit 40 to 50 times in terms of getting sacked and, you know, being damaged and starting to see ghosts and stuff like that. So that is why Jonah is key. So um, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys for supporting the podcast. And we're going to try to get this thing up and moving. I'm going to try to get another show this week, possibly with Zim, just to make up for that. It probably will be a live show via YouTube, so just stay tuned for that. Um, Hopefully, we can get that this week. If not, we'll have to connect it next week. But this has been the Orange is the New Black Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Ace Boogie, and we'll have to leave you with a hootie.